On Sunday the 26th of January at approximately 9.45am, there was a helicopter crash near Calabasas, California. The helicopter was carrying nine passengers, including Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna Bryant. On today's show, we will reflect on the career and life of Kobe Bryant. Hey Jack. Nave. Where were you when you heard the news about Kobe Bryant? So, it was Monday our time. Um, so, I think TMZ released the released the news at eleven thirty two Los Angeles time, if I'm correct, which works out to be six thirty two in the morning on Monday morning for us. Um, so I'd just woken up at seven to get to work. First thing I do, of course, is check check my phone. Went onto Reddit and looked at NBA, and I saw breaking news: TMZ reporting the death of Kobe Bryant in a helicopter accident. Um, my initial thought, strangely enough, was like, oh, okay. And then probably a second or two later, I was like, hang on, that's not right. Yeah, you're I, just waking I up. I was just waking up and just sort of didn't think. And then I was like, hang on, this can't be right. So then naturally, and I think especially as an Australian, we don't have TMZ over here. Yeah. Like it's not as pronounced. And when I do see it, it's sort of almost in a mocking way. Mm. My first reaction was, it's got to be wrong. Yeah. Kobe can't die. I was in Australia's Northern Territory, uh, seeing Uluru for the first time. And it is one hour and a half behind Melbourne time. And so I was getting calls from a friend of mine, about seven missed calls. Uh, and then at 8.30, I finally picked up, which is about 10 o'clock Melbourne time. And he said to me, Kobe's died. I picked up the phone when I'm half asleep. Kobe's died. And my first first word I said was, bullshit. I was in total disbelief. There comes a certain point with these celebrities, such as Kobe Bryant and his magnitude, that you you can't believe it because subconsciously we start to think that they're invincible. Like, it's impossible for Kobe Bryant to get on a helicopter that might crash. Kobe Bryant's helicopter will never crash. That's what we start to think deep down. And so it's hearing news like this just really hits you hard. And I think as well, because Kobe as a player never showed any pain, he was invincible. He seemed indestructible always. Despite his injuries, he'd always get back up. And he sort of had this, like, mythical aura about him that you never thought there was actually a time where he wouldn't be here. I was just talking a couple of weeks ago with my family about deaths that you remember where you, exactly where you were. And there's not too many that I do remember. I remember where I was exactly when I found out when Michael Jackson had died. And I do remember where I was exactly when I found out that Paul Walker died. But this, this was, I, I just couldn't believe it. The whole day I was just refreshing my phone and it was real. Kobe Bryant had died and accordingly the whole world reacted in such shock and pain and I think that shows exactly 
how much impact he's had on the world. So what I want us to do today is look back and celebrate the career and the life of Kobe. Kobe Bean Bryant was born on the 23rd of August 1978 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He was the son of Pamela and Joe Jellybean Bryant. Kobe was the first guard to be drafted from high school to the NBA and spent the next 20 years playing for the Los Angeles Lakers. He was an 18-time All-Star, 15-time All-NBA, 11 of which were first team, 12-time NBA All-Defensive Teams, 2-time Olympic gold medalist, 2008 MVP, 2-time Finals MVP, and 5-time NBA champion. Kobe began making a name for himself in high school at Lower Merion. The Aces? Yep. He won numerous individual awards, including the Naismith High School Player of the Year and the Adidas ABCD Camp MVP Award, which is that camp for the top high school athletes. In his senior year, Kobe led Lower Merion to a state championship. After the senior year, Kobe opted to skip college and declare for the 1996 NBA draft. Which, partly due to Kobe, is one of the best draft classes ever. Mm. Steve Nash. Definitely top three. Who we got? Steve Nash, Alan Iverson, Ray Allen, Jermaine O'Neal, Derek Fisher, Anton Walker. Definitely a few all-stars in there, a few Mm. MVPs. Nice draft class. Definitely, definitely good. Taken at pick number 13, was he? 13, yep. For a draft day trade, of course. And he wasn't actually, for those who don't know, he wasn't actually drafted for the Lakers. No. So... A few days prior to the draft, um, obviously the Lakers were trying to make a big play at Shaquille O'Neal and wanted to free up some salary. I I actually didn't know this. Yeah, so... This is news right there. They wanted to get rid of Vladi Divac, who was quite a good player in the center position. So they've made a trade with Charlotte prior to the draft for the draft rights of number 13 for Vladi. The selection for Kobe was made by the Hornets on behalf of the Lakers. But because the trade hadn't officially gone through, it was still Kobe was technically drafted to the Hornets. Yep, I've seen the photo with the yep. Hornets hat. Yep, so the trade hadn't technically gone through. I was in the process, um, and it was pretty much as good as done. But once Vladi found out, he threatened to retire and said there's no way I'm playing for anyone other than LA. Classic, classic everyone. So there was a brief period where, this is only like a couple of days, where the trade was in limbo. And both teams were like, well, now what? Because Charlotte hadn't even considered drafting Kobe at this point. They never even, they did it purely for the Lakers. Yeah. But luckily, the trade went through, Vladi accepted it, and Kobe became a Laker. Got, had his parents sign his first contract because he was under the age of 18. And yeah, Kobe was a Laker from that point on. He went on to win the dunk contest in his rookie season. And he was voted into the all-rookie second team. He was. Aside from that, not much really happened in his rookie year. Not massively, but there was sort of one career-defining moment in a bit of a negative way that worked for a positive, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, So in the playoffs, the second round against Utah, game five, Utah's up 3-1 in Utah. So Shaq had fouled out. He fouled out prior in the game. Uh, Robert Horry was ejected. And Brian Shaw was injured. I think it was a wrist injury. So here's 18-year-old, 19-year-old Kobe in dire situations for the Lakers, down 3-1 on the road. 
and he's got the ball in his hands towards the end of the game. Kobe drives, pull up, free throw line, extended jump shot, airballs it. That hurt him. You could tell. He was disappointed after that shot. So then goes to overtime. All the players are out there. Once again, ball's in Kobe's hands. Nick Van Exel was playing pretty well, but was deferring to Kobe. This was Kobe's game. He was in the spotlight. In overtime, he made one basket, which was a driving layup, but airballed three threes. So in the clutch moments in that game, there were four airballs. Not even misses, not even bricks. They were airballs. The Utah crowd was ruthless. So after the game, Kobe found a high school gym and shot there, so he says, until the sun came up. Wow. And Jerry West has gone on to say that that is one of the most defining moments in his career. Uh, a lot of young players could easily, you know, roll over and let that get to them. But not Kobe. 11 points, 4 of 14 field goals, 0 of 6 from 3 that night. Yeah, it wasn't impressive at all. And you know, he was still 19 at this point. But typical Kobe fashion, he uses anything against him to turn into a positive. Mm, something was growing there. Yeah. Yeah. We moved to 1998, where at 19 years of age, Kobe was voted in as the youngest ever player to start in an NBA All-Star game. And I hate to say this, but he probably didn't deserve it. He was only averaging about 15 points a game his second year. And I think, well, this was when uh, fan voting made the entirety of the All-Star selections. So that was always a rule until a few years ago. Yeah, still controversial. Um, but now it's 50% fans... 25% players, 25% yeah. coaches. Whereas then it was just purely fans. So Kobe got voted in, and I think partly because he won the dunk contest the year prior in his rookie year, um, I think that would have definitely developed him as a household name. Wouldn't be a household name at this point, but, you know, just entering the conversation of bright young players. Also, his flashy style, his you know charisma off the court, but also because in the preseason, so just after he's come off the four air balls in Utah, preseason game, he posterized Ben Wallace like you've never seen before. It's one of the best dunks I've ever seen. Wow. Ben and, Wallace. Yeah. Great defensive player. Yeah. And Kobe has just absolutely launched and thrown him on a poster. Wow. So I think just the way he played was just exciting for these fans. And that's how he made it. Very exciting. Wing player. Good defender. Mm. Great scorer. Then on to 1999 and the 1999-2000 season. Phil Jackson signs to become the head coach of the Lakers just after finishing up with six titles with the Bulls. Yeah, he's had a year off and then to the Lakers. Paired with Shaq, Kobe and the Lakers won three straight championships. They did, impressively as well. Um, but during that, they had a few career-defining moments. Some quite, you know, a few enjoyable ones that I love to look back on. Um, one of my favourites of all time is before they'd actually won a championship in the year 2000. Uh, Western Conference Finals against Portland. So the Lakers have a 3-1 lead and Portland you know, crawls back into it and forces the game seven in LA. Scotty Pippen's Portland? Yes. Yes, okay. Scotty was there, but obviously aging a little bit, not as uh, influential as he once was, but still quite a good player. But the Trailblazers in game seven in LA after being down 3-1 have a 15-point lead with about 10 and a half minutes to go in the last quarter. This game, this series... Should be Portland's. However, in the last quarter, with the backs against the wall, down 15, 
10 minutes, 28 seconds to go. The Lakers go on a 29-9 run, Nathan, and defeat Portland. 29-9 Just absolutely turned it on. Kobe finishes with 25 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists, 4 blocks. His D was phenomenal that game. And on offense. In the last quarter, he was very good on offense. Um, hit a big jumper on Scotty. But the career-defining play that I just get giddy talking about, I got a big smile on my face now for all the listeners. Had the ball at the top of the key and pushed it with his right hand out and had a beautiful, smooth right-to-left crossover. Got into the lane and threw it up in the air. And there's interviews and Kobe's like, oh, I've thrown this too high. And it's like one of the best alley-oops I've ever seen. Shaq just comes in. And this is like only a few years prior, Shaq touched the backboard higher than anyone ever had in the NBA, which was 12 foot six. Yeah. Shaq's reached to get this ball and thrown it down. And they've both run down the court celebrating. Shaq's like double hand pointing into the crowd. And it's just the most LA showtime sort of thing. It all just came together at the right time. And it's beautiful to watch. The following year in 01, they crazy dominated the playoffs, went 15-1. and one. They did beat your Sixers in the finals? Yes. Yes, they did. They won the championship again in 2002. Three-peated. So Phil Jackson's got three three-peats to his name at this point. Wow. Kobe and Shaq have three championships to their name. It was an incredible run. Um, but I think Kobe almost gets overlooked in this because... Definitely does. I know, well, Shaq won the finals MVP, deservedly. However, Kobe's stats, especially going into the finals, was very, very, very good. And even in the finals for all three seasons, or all, for, all three series, I should say, again, was good. However, Shaq, very matchup dependent in those finals, just had free reign to absolutely dominate. Yeah. So while without you know doing any discredit to Sha- Shaquille O'Neal, he was absolutely phenomenal. I feel like there are people that try and turn this into an argument against Kobe saying that he was carried by Shaq, but it's definitely not the case. You watch any of these games, Kobe was not as instrumental as Shaq, but very, very, very important to these Lakers teams. And without a doubt, they don't win these championships without him. Yeah, so Kobe's stats during the playoffs in those championship runs, he averaged 25.3 points per game, 5.7 rebounds, and 4.9 assists. As well as like a steal and a block to go with. He was playing some good D. He was. So... Yeah, I know Kobe does get a lot of credit, but I feel like he still does get discredited a little bit because Shaq walked away with the hardware. But overall, like those two worked so well together. Yeah. Shaq still to this day says they're the best one-two punch in the history of the NBA. Now, skipping the 2002-2003 season, let's go to the 2003-04, where the Lakers acquired Gary Payton and Carl Malone in the offseason. They did. Um, this was one of the best offseasons you'll see. And unfortunately, it didn't pan out. There was high expectations. Obviously, Carl Malone and Gary Payton had six very successful careers, and they were, you know, getting towards the end of it. The mailman. Mm-hmm. And they obviously wanted to win championships. And they signed Is for it the Lakers because he always delivers. I don't actually know. He's just the mailman. It probably could be. It probably would be. Yeah. Sorry. But go he's just on. the mailman. Go on. Anyway, these two players. Wanted to take, wanted a championship. They wanted the best shot at it, and obviously, if you're joining a three-pitting team, you're you've a good chance. However, 2004, 
coming up in the finals against the Pistons. So the 2004 Pistons are probably the best defensive team of all time. They won their championship against the Lakers on defense. And unfortunately, it's, there was always you know a rift between Kobe and Shaq. So after losing the 2004 championship, the tension between Shaq and Kobe grew, and like that had been quite well documented up to that point. But that grew to the point where Shaq wanted to go and ended up joining the Miami Heat, which meant Kobe was the face of the franchise for the Lakers. But the team fell apart, and it left Kobe in quite a dire situation where he was playing with people that weren't up to his standard especially, but definitely weren't up to the, the standard that he had been playing with in the championship years. And obviously, while, you know, that sucks, we want to see Kobe competing. It did lead to some pretty fun times. Brought out the best of him. It did. So he had the green light, could do as he pleased, and just put up big stats, put up big numbers. But obviously, the team's success wasn't quite there. So in 2004-05, they missed the playoffs. But then the following two seasons, in 2005-06 and 6-7, they had first-round exits. However, his 2005-06 season might be one of the best seasons individually. Notable one, this one. Oh, it is just incredible. So the Lakers went 45-37 and 37 that season. They did eventually get knocked out in the first round. But Kobe, having them on his back that season, averaged 35 points per game, 5.5 rebounds, 4.5 assists, and two steals. He also hit 81 points against the Toronto Raptors on January 22nd at the Staples Centre. The second highest scoring game by an individual player ever. It's one of the most ridiculous games of all time. He was hot. He had the hot hand. 81 points. It's almost hard to fathom. It is. I can't imagine it. Like you watch James Harden put up these... Like, really ridiculous numbers. And then, yeah, sometimes it gets cut short. And same with Curry, Clay. But 81. Like, like for example, look at the Devin Booker game, the 70. Which, as a Boston fan, is the least deserving 70-point game of all time. Yeah, it was. And, and, like, it just felt like it stretched on for so long. That was one I was following in the NBA to watch live. Foul Boston every possession, make him shoot free throws so we can get Devin the ball with more time on the clock. 81 points? Mm. My gosh. Incredible. He also had a game where I don't have the stats on me, but he outscored the Dallas Mavericks through three quarters and didn't play the last quarter. I think he was outscoring them 62 to 61. So at the time, only three players had ever scored more points per game in a season, which was Rick Barry. Wilt Chamberlain and Michael Jordan. And then, obviously, Harden's now done that last year and will probably do it again this season. However, at the time, it was just one of the most phenomenal seasons, despite the Lakers hardly winning. And I think that goes to show how inferior his supporting cast was Yeah, with Smush Parker. And what he could do when it needed to come out, when Mm. a team needed him to do that, he could do it. He loved it. So the following season, 06-07, uh, 42 and 40 for the Lakers. Again, as mentioned, first round exit. But it had one of the best periods I've ever seen for any player over four games. 
Four games in a row, Kobe scored 50-plus points. He had 65, 50, 60, and 50. Wow. We're talking about things that we can't even comprehend. That is one of them. 65, 50, 60, and 50. Harden could probably do it now if everything went well. Yeah. His consistency does vary at times. But again, like there's no player that I can realistically see doing that. Yeah. And again, it's just a myth of Kobe. Just yeah, who he was as a person, who he was as a player. It's just what he was able to do and how he willed himself to do it was just incredible. Again, March 2007, four games in a row with 50, 65 points, 50, 60 and 50. I just got to keep saying that because I can't believe that. Astonishing. So overall on those three seasons... Kobe averaged 31 points per game, 5.6 rebounds, and 5.3 assists. He was on an absolute tear. Pretty incredible numbers. 31.8 points per game for three years. Incredible. That's where he did the majority of his work. So on to the next year and moving into some more championship contending Mm -hmm. over the next few years coming up. Pau Gasol got traded to the Lakers. And that trade definitely helped, especially with Andrew Bynum, you know, growing into a, quite a good centre and Powell being there and Lamar Odom. And Lamar Odom, obviously, quite quite an elite level of play, as well as Derek Fisher leading the point and running the triangle. They had quite a good team. But one of my favourite little things about Powell being in LA was co- obviously Kobe's bilingual. Yeah. He grew up in Italy, so he knows Italian quite well and he knows Spanish and... Spent quite a few years in his younger life in Italy. Yeah, seven from the age of seven to fourteen. Or yeah, something like that. something like that. Anyway, so he knows Italian very well. He's quite fluent in Spanish, but knows a little bit of French. But while he was playing with Powell, he would speak Spanish on the court to Powell, so yeah. no one knew what he was doing. Which is just a little tip that I love, love yeah. to think about. Those are always very powerful strategies. Be annoying for all the other players. In 2008, he won the NBA MVP. He eventually lost to your Boston Celtics in the 2008 NBA Finals. Greatest final series of all time. What What did it feel like watching Kobe against, you know, like against you, feeling like he was against you? Well, it's strange because this is just as I was getting into basketball. So I'd picked the Celtics a year prior, um, but hadn't, still hadn't actually watched the game yet. Yeah. And I was would see it in the newspapers, and that's pretty much about it. And I remember them winning the, the championship and be like, oh, that's cool. Little little 12-year-old me getting excited about it, knowing absolutely nothing. But since then, I've gone back and actually watched the games. And I still get nervous when Kobe's got the ball. Despite knowing the result and despite everything. Game six, I'm pretty comfortable with because I've seen that so many times. Yeah. But all the other games, it's like... I just know that he's going to do something. I know that he's going to find a way to score. And it's just, it's a weird feeling. And Boston threw some decent defenders at him yeah. as well. But Tony Allen was great. Ray Allen could hold his own, would take Kobe for the majority of the matchup. Paul Pierce would switch on him a little bit. Rondo loved playing against him. But even still, it was just like Kobe just found it. He just had a way. Yeah. And found a way to Found another win. gear. Yeah. So following the loss in the finals, he went on to win Olympic gold, and in that gold medal game against Spain, he he hit some really big shots, big shot after big shot, and then down the stretch, he took over. He scored something like nine or ten points and was a real difference maker in that game. He was. Um, I think he finished with 20 for the game. 
So it's quite quite early on. And then last year, like you said, last like three, four minutes, just took over completely. Had some big threes. Yeah. Um, got it, got into the paint. One of my favourites was a big three and one, and he turns to the crowd and puts his finger over lips and just shushes them. And it's just classic Kobe. Classic Kobe. In his own little world, just no one can stop him. And that they dismantled Spain when they met them in the group stages. But obviously the gold medal match, Spain was up there and just Kobe took over and just against his teammate Powell and it was just absolutely fantastic. In 2009, Kobe gets another ring. He does. He wins finals MVP. He had a big, big series. He was averaging 32 points, five rebounds and... Seven assists? Seven assists. Well, he was being guarded by Courtney Lee. Courtney Lee. So Orlando just had nothing to really throw at him. Kobe just had his way with him. Yeah. And their defense. And it was such a shame because that could have that was meant to be the year where it was Kobe versus LeBron in the finals. Yes. And Dwight knocked out LeBron. They did. Yes. They did. Yes. Yeah, so it would have been would have been fantastic to see LeBron and Kobe head to head in the finals. But it would have been. The East was a bloodbath that year. Orlando, Boston, and Cleveland all just sort of just fighting for positions. But yeah, Kobe just did Kobe things. But like the series was 4-1 in favour of the Lakers. Um, but the actual score lines were pretty, pretty close throughout. So once again, we just got to see Kobe doing his thing down, down the stretch. And he kept doing his thing the next year in 2010. This, when, one, this one hurts me. When he again met your Boston Celtics... Mm-hmm. And got his redemption, the famous Boston Los Angeles Lakers rivalry. Uh, they beat your boys in seven. They did, and this I, I've only watched this game once. Game seven. Game seven. You guys were up three two after five, mm-hmm. and obviously Kobe and the Lakers. They did their thing. Oh, this one, this one absolutely kills me. If I remember it correctly, Boston was up eight or seven at the end of the third and not losing by four. Ron Artest, of all players, hit some big shots down the stretch. Um, but if we do want to talk about Kobe today, and I know we do, Kobe had a pretty awful game that day in terms of scoring the ball. Yeah. Um, didn't shoot well. I don't have the stats on me at the moment, but he was shooting about 30% from the field. However, defensively, of course put the clamps on Ray Allen and did his thing. But the thing that stuck out most that just still breaks my heart, Kendrick Perkins, our starting center, was out. Kobe's got 16 rebounds. 16 rebounds. 16. As a, six foot six. Oh, it just breaks my heart. So he just created so many second chance points. He just wanted it so badly. Running in, he would defend a player, close at the shot, and just sprint in and get the defensive rebound. Same on offense. He just wanted it so badly. I can see him in. I can see him doing it now. And yeah, I've only bring, actually no. I lied when I said I've only watched it once. I've only watched it once since I watched it at the time, and that was only like three months ago. So like, it took me that long to actually sit down and try and watch this. And I only watched the highlights. And Rondo hit some threes to try and bring it back at the end, but it was all hope was lost. And just it was there for the taking. Boston had their hands around it, and typical Kobe Bryant just wanted it more. The Black Mamba averaged 28 points, 8 rebounds, and 4 assists in that series to bring him and the Lakers another ring, his fifth. 
before, in 2012, he won himself another Olympic gold with Team USA. He did. Wearing number 10, as always. Yep. So, going into the 2012-2013 preseason, the Lakers had just picked up Dwight Howard and Steve Nash. Heading into this season as one of the title favourites, this is going to be fun. Yeah, the big Sports Illustrated headline with <laughs> Kobe, Nash and Dwight. Dwight's shoulders popping out of his jersey. Hopes were high. So, yeah, between them and Miami, it was pretty clear cut. That was going to be the finals. That's all everyone thought. Nash gets injured. Nash was broken to begin with. And looking back on the trade, it sort of reminds me of a, not as bad, but kind of like the Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett to Brooklyn situation. It's like, Ooh. in hindsight, it's like probably was always going to happen. Yeah. That Steve Nash would break down. Dwight's back wasn't good, but he didn't want to play the pick and roll. He wanted to be a big post, a big man, and it just didn't really fit the Lakers, and just the matchup didn't work. I don't think they won a game in preseason. This is what I think this is when they had seven games preseason. I think they lost all of them and then lost the four first four, I think, games of the regular season. And instantly coaches fired and it was like, oh, this isn't good enough. We're here to win. But it never really picked up from that point. They're always sort of fighting between the sixth and the tenth seed because the West is pretty close. But then towards the year, it was looking like playoffs is actually like quite possibly out of the question until. Of course, Kobe comes in. Kobe comes in. Does his thing. Does his thing. Wills the Lakers into the playoffs. But then he ruptures his Achilles on April 12th against the Golden State Warriors. So just just as they'd pretty much cemented their spot in the playoffs, just as the playoffs are around the corner, Kobe's doing everything for this team. He He played 185 of a possible 192 minutes leading up to that game. He was at 34 oh. at 34 years of age. And just looking back, it almost seems inevitable something was going to happen. Yeah. Like but he was playing so well and he was looking fit and he was defending well and his offense was incredible. He was putting up big numbers in like the, the month stretch going into the playoffs. And then, of course, the Achilles tear. But I remember at the start of the, start of the show, I mentioned how... Kobe never let injuries sort of get to him. And he sort of seemed invincible. And this was one of the perfect cases. Tears his Achilles. Takes the free throws. Takes the free throws. Takes the free he throws. did that, yes. And it was just... Classic Kobe. It really was. Um, and it was heartbreaking that day. Like, you could see the post-game interview. You know, he had tears in his eyes. And I don't think he wanted to believe it. I don't really think he let himself think it. But there was always that looming thing of this is going to be tough to recover at this age. A lot of people, especially at 34, yeah, a lot of people do not think you come back from an Achilles injury, no. rupturing your Achilles. And not not many do. No. And Kobe didn't. We go to the 2013-2014 season where Kobe makes a late return, obviously, mm-hmm. after recovering from the injury. Starts his season on December 8, but then only nine days later, he tragically breaks a bone in his left knee. Tibia plateau, if I remember correctly. And I've always sort of wondered if they were linked. 
obviously you're doing a lot of rehab and there's a lot of stress going through your joints towards the end of the rehab as you're getting back into things. Um, whether he was walking a different way and putting more pressure on his joints, but we never yeah. know. But it was sort of just a downward spiral that started with the Achilles and just sort of led to everything else. And I believe they tried to get him back that season, but then they determined that it was not healing. Mm-hmm. And so he missed the rest of that 2013-2014 season. In the 2014-2015 season, unfortunately he missed most of that season as well due to a torn right rotator cuff. Yep. So we go to the 2015-2016 season. The farewell tour. Kobe announces his retirement at the end of the year. Kobe announces via Players Tribune that he will retire at the end of the season. This is it. This is it. This is when he brings out Dear Basketball, the the letter, mm-hmm. not the eventual short film. And he wasn't on that great of a team to take him around. No. And there's a bit of controversy around this because Kobe was on, without a doubt, the worst contract in the league. The Lakers were giving him like $24 million to, to shoot the amount of games. Yeah. But it was almost a, part of it was a thank you. And it was also kind of like the LA, the LA farewell of we're here to see you. We don't mind whatever else happens. You go out in your way. Just go have some fun. You won't be winning very much, unfortunately. But you can start developing some younger players, which, as we later know, became a passion of his in coaching. Definitely. Um, And this season frustrated him. Did you see the thing that came out that, um, Lou Williams said about the Kobe shoes? No. So Lou Williams tweeted, and just for the context of it, they'd lost a game in Portland, and Kobe, like, he hated this team. There was so many exam- like it, so many times during during training where he'd go off at them and be like, oh, you're soft. He called them a softest toilet paper at one stage. <laughs> um, but after one of the games, they had a loss in Portland, and he walked into the locker room and took everyone's Kobe's away from them and said, <laughs> you don't deserve these. You're too soft. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so like, Kobe, he was, he was obviously frustrated with this whole situation. But when the retirement tour came around, and especially when he wasn't going to play in that city again, everyone wanted to be there. Yeah. And it was the the farewell that we wanted to see of just go and shoot. Yeah. Put up 30 shots. Score 30, we'll be happy. Yeah. Yeah, the, te- the team wasn't good. And looking at the roster, you've got the young players that had a little bit of potential, which was D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle, Larry Nance, Jordan Clarkson. Then you've also got the veterans that we didn't really... Well, that stage, Lou Will wasn't what he is now. He was yeah. just a good scorer, but not as good. Meta World Peace, Ron Artest, who had come back and wasn't really doing much. Nick Young, who was just sort of creating controversy and not much else. <laughs> but then you got like the bench guys, Robert Sacre and Marcelo Huertas. And oh, it was just like that. Did he have the hair, the long hair? He had the curly sort of hair. Yeah. He was one that hid behind, I think it was Eric Spolstra. And Goran Dragic rang up the court and he like popped out and stole the ball. It was just, it was the definition of a meme team. They had a little bit of everything. And one of my favourite bits, can't remember, someone hit like a game winner. I'm pretty sure. Maybe it was a clutch shot. And Kobe's on the bench with his rotator cuff all, all wrapped up. 
and everyone on the bench is going crazy. D'Angelo Russell's standing there jumping, like flapping his arms, and Kobe's just deadpan. He can't believe I think I've that, seen this. He can't believe that they were even in this position. Yeah. He didn't like this team, but it was good for the fans. So, all these dark times after those championships in 2009, 2010, but there was one final huge highlight. Final game of Kobe Bryant's career. Before the game, and this is a few months beforehand, Kobe was on... um, inside the NBA on TNT, like just after a game, had the headset on. And Shaq said, what else you go for 50 in your final game? Yes. And Kobe sort of joked, he was like, nah, not a chance. So what did he do? Drop 60. Just a casual. He, he didn't lie to Shaq. Drop 60. He wasn't going to score 50. He, so yeah, context on that game, and I remember this, the Jazz could have caught the Rockets if the Rockets earlier that day had lost... The Jazz were obviously would have prepared to go for it, and I'm sure they still wanted to. Kobe would have wanted them to. Mm-hmm. They were coming in hard, and they were up. They were up decently with the few minutes to go. Kobe Bryant went on a tear. He did. And before I even get to this, one of my favorite things about this day is that this was a pretty incredible season. A lot happened. We had the 3-1 deficits. We had one of the best first-round playoff series of all time in terms of, like, the actual first round had so many overtime games. We had the Golden State Warriors on the last day of the season aiming to win the most ever games in a season. Yes. 73. Yes. And ESPN showed Kobe's final game <laughs> in Utah over that one. Yeah. They relegated the Warriors, breaking the NBA record of most wins in a season and Kobe's last game was more important. And thank God they put yeah, it on TV. Thank yes. So going down the stretch of that game in the last quarter, Kobe missed his first three shots. Then he made made two threes and got into his groove a little bit. Missed another two after that. He did. Then then hit another shot. Then missed three in a row. He started the quarter three of eight. Very Kobe esque, but, but it's all right. Shoot, it was very Kobe. He was just having some fun out there, and he was just shooting. He wasn't really worried until they sort of came back with a little sniff. And Kobe did, as I've said so many times in this pod, in typical Kobe fashion, he hit his last five field goal attempts. One was a three, and then he hit his last four free throws as well. He finished the game so strong, and then he had the assist as well to Clarkson for the breakaway dunk at the very end. But it was the most fitting end to a career I've ever seen. Yeah. Of the player that developed and had the air balls initially and the player that won these championships was still kind of overlooked and the player that had the biggest green light in NBA history and just shot and shot and shot. It was a perfect way to tie the knot on his career. Yeah. It really was. 60-point game once again. Nothing new to Kobe Bryant. The following year, the Lakers retire both of Kobe's numbers, number 8 and number 24. And then in 2018... Kobe wins another award, an Oscar, for his short film Deer Basketball. This is a bit out of left field for Kobe Bryant on his resume. Seems to be sticking out a little bit, but... Just shows how skilled he was. And well-deserved. Obviously with the Oscar, like, sorry, Kobe's creator side. But there's one thing I read 
just today and it was Zach Lowe talking about how he got a text from a random number one day and it was Kobe. And Kobe wanted to meet with him. And he admired the way that Zach Lowe wrote about X's and O's in basketball. So he wanted to have Zach Lowe over and I think they watched one of the NBA Finals games. And they, you know, split a, split a six-pack of beers, sorry, um, and just discussed basketball. But then they also went into talking about how Kobe wants to get into this media sort of thing but doesn't want to do the typical role. And Zach Lowe was saying he had the wildest ideas and, like, what would work and how he wanted to get old footage of Bill Russell and break it down. Yeah. Like, Kobe, he was inventive in his ideas and didn't want to follow the grain he wanted to go against it and find a new way to find success and it was quite similar to his playing career but just reading that about Zach Lowe today it sort of put everything and this this sort of creativity sort of works just in terms of you know now we know he's got the Oscar and how well he, he made some some children's books yeah well in March 2019 Kobe releases a batch of children's books entitled The Wizenards. And these were essentially fantasy stories for young athletes about the challenges that they may face. He's got a, a bit of a history. He'd know a lot about that, I should say. You, you can tell it was one of his huge passions after he moved on from the game and competing to step into the shoes of young athletes and steer them in the right direction. Yeah, and I think you can you can see that with like ESPN detail when he would get footage of players and break it down. He really wanted to be... He wanted to help them. Yeah. He wanted to help them with their ventures. He wanted everyone just to work on their craft the way that he did. The way he could and see it. Speaking of a, a teaching and a leading role, he was an extremely proud and devoted father of four girls, Natalia, Gianna, Bianca, and Capri. And as we all saw from Al Duncan, he loved being a girl dad. He did. So Al Duncan recently told this story about how she only had one interaction with Kobe ever, only met him once, and she was pregnant at the time and she wanted to go get a photo with Kobe, but Kobe saw she was pregnant and just got so excited and naturally started talking about kids and whatnot. And Kobe was saying how girls are the best. I hope you have a girl. Um, and he's had three girls at this stage and they were thinking about getting pregnant for the fourth time. And part of the reason was because Vanessa really wanted a boy, but Kobe was telling Al that secretly he wanted another girl because girls are the best and I'm a girl dad. Yeah. But then, you know, you go on Kobe's Instagram and obviously, more recently, especially, all the photos, more or less, of his girls or of his wife, yeah. Vanessa. And he was so proud. Like, family photos, just photos of them, photos of him and, the, him and the girls. He really, really found a passion in that. He loved helping them. And it was quite inspiring to see. And there's that famous Jimmy Kimmel interaction interview that's been going around, especially now where he describes how people come up to him in the street or it's his favourite thing where people come up to him and Gianna in the street and her being a young basketball player 
they say to Kobe, oh, you got to have a boy, man. You and, as he says, you and V got to have a boy. And then... Continue the legacy. And then Gianna sort of points to herself, points to her chest, and she says, no, 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 I got this. I got this. And he absolutely loves it. You can just see that it truly was his new life was devoting it to to young people and especially his girls. His oldest daughter, Natalia, didn't pick up basketball like Gigi did. And Kobe threw himself into to learning about volleyball and being there and being present and absolutely loved it by all accounts. And then obviously with the Mumba Academy with Gigi, Gianna loved basketball and wanted to be a WNBA player. And with this academy, he was teaching eighth graders everything about basketball. They had film, they were, they were breaking down footage of everything, they had coaches in, and he loved it. He was, uh, I believe he was showing them the triangle offense. He was. And, yeah, hilarious. There was, there was one story that came out, and he was always very present at his camps all the way through his career. And there was one coach that, you know, started riding on it, and one of the kids who was like eight years old, nine years old, threw a sloppy pass and Kobe pulled him aside and said that was a that was a weak pass. <laughs> and then apparently this kid threw bullet passes the entire rest of the week. <laughs> His teammates were dropping everything. But like the, these kids really, really took on what he said because it's Kobe Bryant. Like you, you, of course you're going to. And then, so obviously we got the sport with Natalia and Gianna and the youngest two were quite young, hadn't obviously got to that stage yet. But the way he talked about Bianca and Capri and like the photos he posted, he was just absolutely in love and absolutely obsessed with his family. That brings us to the tragic events of Sunday. Kobe, Gianna, two of her teammates, their parents, the pilot. Nine people died in the crash just outside of Calabasas. John Altabelli was a college baseball coach. His wife, Kerry, and their daughter, Alyssa, also lost their lives. Peyton Chester was another one of Gianna's teammates. Her and her mother, Sarah, will not get back home to their family. Christina Mauser, the assistant coach, oftenly referred to as the MOD, the mother of defence, will no longer be able to raise her kids with husband Matt. Matt explained how Kobe saw Christina's passion for basketball, which Kobe saw in himself. Ara Zabion, Kobe's trusted pilot. He had over 8,000 hours of private flying experience. Kobe wouldn't leave this job to anyone else. Everyone in that helicopter will be sorely missed. The legacy that Kobe Bryant leaves with all of us is bigger than basketball. It's that of persistence, hard work and determination. He showed us how to translate these characteristics into being a devoted father, a loving husband and an incredible human being. Kobe set high standards for himself and everyone else because he wanted to get the best out of everyone. So while kids try to replicate him on the court, 
If we could emulate who he was entirely, we too could become the best versions of ourselves. Thanks for this special edition, Jack. My pleasure. Wouldn't miss it. May the nine victims of this terrible accident rest in peace. Thank you for listening to this special edition. We'll talk to you next week.